welcome to Editing Aloud in a week which, hard to believe, is uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa's fourth State of the Nation address. Ahmed Aref, does anyone care anymore? Because I have to say that some of the economists and markets people I spoke to seemed remarkably uninterested in what used to be like a big deal. Uh, so the first one obviously was exciting. Yes. Because obviously it came at the end it was of... way back 2018, early yeah. 2018, two years to the day almost. Yeah. And look, obviously there was optimism at the time, the Ramaphoria, everyone was kind of excited, there was Tumamina. And I think over time that euphoria wore out and everyone's, I think, just tired. Tired of excuses, tired of sort of talk shops, tired of... Look, he's a really good speaker and he kind of presents his ideas really well, but I think from my money, people are beginning to see that it's sort of covering the cracks a little bit. So he speaks really well to cover up stuff he doesn't really want to talk about. And I think everyone understands that now. So no one goes into it expecting solutions or expecting really uh, big ideas and trying to solve the problems we have right now. So it's not, I mean, Claudia, is, is it a, does anyone look to this for policy anymore? So I think in terms of policy, of course, it's interesting. But if we go back to his first State of the Nation, for instance, in 2018, um, you would have to look back at it effectively to see how much has been implemented, right? And there's probably a handful of things that you can go and count over this past two years, which has really been implemented and really been focused on. Which would those be, by the way? Um, we should remind ourselves of some of the things that have been implemented before we yes. go into the many things that have it. So which yeah. would the, the, the big progress things be? So I would say in terms of, so of course we need to look at where the state came from after the Jacob Zuma years, right? Um, it was completely decimated and I don't think we really understand exactly how bad it's been. And I think they are also probably just coming to the realization themselves as to how bad it is. But um, if one had to look at like, for instance, state capture and the impact on the criminal justice system, one of the big promises um, Ramaphosa had made was restoring the integrity of the MPA, which of course has led to the appointment of Shamila Batoy, which has resulted in the investigating directorate being established, um, led by Hermione Cronier. Um, but the thing is, even with that, you have put it all in place, but people are still shouting for prosecutions. So you can look at it two ways. And then of course, um, a new SARS commissioner, was a massive thing if you look at how SARS had been so decimated. So that's the two progress items. Yeah, but the rest, definitely. if you look back at 2018, how much of what was promised then has in fact been implemented? Look, he's been on his investment drives and everything else in between, and that's wonderful. But let's look at SOEs, right? We're going into SONAR with ESCOM and SAA being, of top, being at the top of our minds, basically. We look at the post office, um, being in crisis after Mark Barnes had done quite a solid job of trying to just get it onto solid footing. So I think those are the questions that he would have to answer. And I don't think he can talk more um, because we can't have a president that continuously talk, uh, talks. And as like Ahmed has said, it's wonderful. He's a really great speaker, but we need action. We need realism. We need pragmatists to come to the fore and like more ideologues chatting and saying, this is what we want to do, won't cut it. We really need action. But Diego, what would markets like to see in the sauna? What are they expecting to see on the one hand, but yeah. also what would they like to see? I think markets and the business community in larges will be looking at three things. Um, one, what's, what the president is going to say around unemployment. Um, the second one, what the president will say just around energy. 
and then because I think that's a big issue that a lot of businesses are grappling with at the moment. And then the third one will be what are they gonna what statements or what is his tone going to be around certain policy issues um, that lend to ease of doing business in South Africa, the land question, etc. But I think for the most part, the market won't react much to what's going to be said tomorrow. I think rather what they'll be waiting for is sort of the off-the-cuff sort of commentary that Tito's likely to provide in a few weeks when he does his budget. So um, I think the market sort of expects that uh, the president is going to sort of walk a fine line, you know, be balanced and measured in his tone. But the real stuff will then come from Tito at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the month. Ahmed, how important, uh, you, you were actually saying before the show, um, the state of the nation in some ways doesn't matter because it's the budget that does. What are the expectations of Look, the 26th? So obviously the big question is SOEs. Everyone wants sort of certainty on that. And I don't think, given everything that's happening at ESCOM, that Ramaphosa would be able to give sort of certainty on that right now. But I think budget helps in providing uh, a definitive idea of what's going on. And like we mentioned, Tito in his very wry sort of way is what is going to determine how people sort of see where uh, see where there's action. I suppose we, the, we, the, we, we, basically it's about where where's the money going to be. Yeah, when you yeah. look at the money flows, yeah. then that that's much more real in some ways than any policy announcements that might be made. But you mentioned the Eskom issue. Yeah. Uh, you've been actually leading on Business Day's front page all week with um, this apparent compact yeah. between Kasatu business government about a debt restructuring for ESCOM. Now it seems actually today that it's, it's not such a compact yeah, after all. I mean, is this yeah. thing going to happen and what is it supposed to be even if it does? So I think obviously what Ramaphosa is good at is bringing different people together and trying to come up with a solution. Obviously, I think he's sort of seeing this Kosatu thing as a springboard, and I think the presidency is seeing it in that way. I think the fear from everyone was that it'll be a wholesale implementation of the Kosatu plan, which was 250 billion of PIC money. Everyone was worried that, that it would be the 250 billion plan, and you think it's not going to be in that form? Well, at least Kosatu says it's not going to be in that form anymore. They're saying they're going to need to talk to their members and discuss what it actually needs to be. Because aside from business and other politicians kind of reacting with a bit of fear of a, that this would eventually lead to prescribed assets, Kosatu itself is saying our own members are actually also showing a bit of uncertainty around this because it does involve their money as well. And we need to be certain that uh, ESCOM is not going to be the same ESCOM that it was for the last 10 years. And uh, Hilary, if I can just mm. add on to what Ahmed had said here also, it seems like from the lead on Business Day written by like Carol Payton, of course, who has been leading on the story, um, one of the big issues for Kusato also, just in terms of consultation, as Ahmed had now spoken about, that they had to actually, they, they legitimately have to get their members on board, is the fact that Fedusa is not on board with this. And they said it was lag. Which is the second largest, second largest, yes, trade union federation in the country. And they had rejected using um, like the government employees' pension funds money to do this. So it seems like they kind of uh, 
almost jumped the gun on this. Mm-hmm. I think also to a large extent it's because in the initial idea was Sona's happening, we need something. And I think, I think they're in a position where any plan is a viable plan. Let's discuss it and let's see if it works. But clearly it hasn't. But you also, know, we, didn't quite we have to yet remember what happened with Tito's plan. He said it. Everybody was up in arms about it. It was a discussion point eventually because how much of the, many of those reforms have truly been taken on board? Actually, a year ago, yeah. at last year's State of the Nation, the restructuring of Eskom's debt, as I recall, was in fact announced, and then the details are going to be in the budget. And then they won't. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, should we be holding our breath? No. Not this time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how, how damaging is it, is it, I mean, I'll come to you, Modiwa, because you're the, I mean, just to talk about what impact this has on financial markets, but how damaging is, is it when we keep having, you know, this is what we're going to do and then it doesn't happen? Again, it goes to the fact that most people don't take it seriously anymore because no one's going into this expecting anything meaningful. And if, and if no one expects that, then what's the point even? It's, it's, it's just something that they have to do. It's just a bit of housekeeping. He needs to come in and say, this is what we're doing for the year and very big picture, pie in the sky sort of thing that doesn't really say anything. And people know and inspect that now. And we now know that there's not going to be any real plan in ESCOM. Every state of the nation, every budget for the last two years we go, there's going to be something and there's nothing. And it makes everyone despondent. We're a country of despondent people now. How damaging is this for, for business, for markets? Is it damaging? I think it's damaging simply because if I'm a portfolio manager at the PIC and I'm saying to myself, uh, the last time I checked, I think the PIC has about 2 trillion rand um, under management. And now you're asking for a tenth of, you know, of uh, government pension funds to go and bail out ESCOM. I'm thinking to myself, this goes against what the mandate of the PIC and what the pension fund is meant to do. Because the pension fund is meant to grow. Um, your, it's meant to grow pension, pensioners' money. And I do not see the clearing of ESCOM's debt as a way to grow pensioners' money. That well, doesn't, doesn't I mean, really... I presume there's no return, a social yeah. economic return maybe, but no financial return. No, there's return no financial return. Re- you're literally wiping out 10% of all pensioners' money in South Africa just to say, okay, fine, we've cleared uh, $250 billion off ESCOM's almost half a billion rand debt. Like... Mm-hmm. How, how how is that? And um, the other the other point I just also wanted to raise is uh, the fact that it also seems like another attempt to do what they did with SAA simply because uh, DBSA, the Development Bank of South Africa, technically speaking, its mandate would not have been to advance money to SAA. And now you're saying to yourself, is uh, the place of the PIC through? Uh, the GP, the GEPF through the PIC, is it really their place to be clearing ESCOM's debt once again? Look, yeah. it doesn't, obviously like, you can't say it's money laundering, but it's, it has the similarities in the sense that they're just funneling money to yeah. themselves <laughs> in a weird convoluted way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's effectively what they're doing. They, they still bear the responsibility of paying out pensions <laughs> and it's guaranteed. So it's... it's and it avoids in a way, I mean, Claudia, um, you've got the last word, but... There seems to be not much conditionality attached to this. I mean, is this just another way of avoiding making hard decisions about ESCOM or SOEs in general? Well, 
you've only got a look 30 at, seconds. Yeah, look, at the, the problem is they need to take decisions. They can't not take decisions. But in the end, this will have to be the PIC's decision who have said that we can only take a solid business case. And the fact is they haven't even seen the plan. So let's see what happens. And we're not letting the State of the Nation address go yet. Claudie, who's going to be there? Jacob Zuma seems to be on the guest list. Yes. Surprise, surprise. Yes, it's definitely big surprise, surprise, because last week, Tuesday, Judge Diapelle had issued a, issued a warrant of arrest, which was stayed until the 6th of May, because they couldn't really pr prove that he was sick, and there was some doubts about his um, sick note, and if it was legit, but apparently a week later, he's absolutely healthy enough to go. Weekly. And he wasn't healthy enough in January to go to the Zondo Commission. So we should actually be really grateful because this looks good. He might be in courts on the 6th of May at this rate, unless something goes wrong. Ahmed, who else is at the State of the Nation? Well, we also have our former president. And Khalema uh, Matlante will be there. And uh, I think... To top of Tom Beck as well. Tom Beck as well. Yes, yes, yes. So, so we that's have quite three former presidents, yeah? yeah? That is quite a lineup. Is there that's a chance it will be disrupted? So the EFF says it will, which is uh, unique because this is the first time they've kind of much is actually pulled off. Usually uh, Ramaphosa is good at putting a damper on things. Uh, I think the last sonar was we can have a band and uh, I think one uh, Musi will be on drums and... Julius will be playing another instrument and I'll sing. And I think he put it, <laughs> any plans kind of just like uh, fell apart then. But where this is different is that uh, they firmly believe Praveen Godan needs to be held to account for ESCOM. And it seems that they're going to attempt to disrupt proceedings again. And it's going to be like Sonas of old. And Jacob Zuma will be there again. Oh, to help. Even, even, yeah, if possibly, yeah. <laughs> On one side or the other. But do you, what is it that the EFF has with Praveen Gordon? I mean, do you understand this? I really don't understand why they have, you know, they target him the way they do. But I think for him, he's just a symbol. Um, simply because you hear all this rhetoric um, in the market, particularly when it comes to state-owned enterprises, that there's too much government interference and the like. And I think they just say, this is our go-to man. Uh, because, for example, um, I think over the last couple of years, when it comes to um, ESCOM press conferences, for example, nothing happens, nothing used to happen at ESCOM without Praveen being there. So I think they felt like if you really want the answers to some of the state-owned enterprise, particularly ESCOM, then Praveen is your man. And if you want something to go through, then he's the person you either need to be friends with or to attack. Yep. What, is, what is between the EFF? Why specifically Praveen Gordon? So... Um, it is quite interesting given the fact that the EFF themselves have disrupted Sona as a result of um, Zuma firing Praveen. No, well, no, that was after Sona, but they, he has, they have raised issues with Zuma firing Praveen. So politically, that is quite interesting that the erstwhile person that they had defended, they're now against very vehemently on multiple avenues, including laying complaints at the public protector and everything in between. But... With Praveen Gordon specifically, I do think one, in terms of the EFF, of course you can look at the bigger political picture, um, in terms of Praveen being at SOEs, the cleanup man, all is well, but Praveen was also a SARS commissioner. And there's a and tax general, angle there somewhere. Yes, there's a tax yeah, there's angle, a tax angle somewhere. Mm. But on the subject of Praveen Gordon, um, and in fact, 
all his colleagues, we've had this bizarre sight at, at, with the South African Airways Business Rescue, where the business rescue practitioner does what he says he needs to do to salvage what's left of the airline. Praveen Gordon says, no, 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 we don't like your, your decisions about routes. Uh, Sarah Ramaphosa says, no, we don't like it either. The tourism minister says, no, no, this is bad news. Kwere Mantashe, the minerals and energy manager, says, oh, <laughs> shut the thing down and fly safi, basically. Yeah. Um, do you, what, what kind of politics is this, Ahmed, around the business rescue? So, look, uh, Praveen, uh, I think, has this firm belief that these things can be rescued, they need to be saved, we need to keep them going strong. I mean, before it underwent business rescue, he was the one who says, we need to support SAA, we need to fly SAA, we need to keep it... Look, Seems I, like nobody is. But nobody is. Obviously, there's uh, those images of like planes with no one sitting in it. Mm. And, mm. I, and I doubt if they had that many routes, there would be people sitting on it. And the reality is, and he, I, I find it sometimes hard to understand, because I always think that he has a very astute sort of business-minded way of looking at things. And I think there's a conflict here in the sense that he, I would have thought they would be on board with something like this. One of the theories being posited is that government actually is kind of happy with this, but they have to put a front and say, oh, this is really this bad, is and you're cutting roots, and people are going to lose jobs. Oh. But secretly, they're like, thank God this I is agree. happening. Yeah. And, and we don't have to bear the responsibility of this. Because legally, yeah. it's the business rescue yeah. practitioners exactly. yeah. completely within Look, his yeah, they, they responsibility. The, once the process is there, they say, we are doing X, Y, and Z. This is how we feel. If you want to interfere, there's political interference. And you can't really do that because we are here to salvage this thing mm. and legally mm. and what is that is that a theory that makes sense given the I business rescue practitioners uh i mean business rescue is a very particular yeah. legal process isn't it yeah so I, I see this in two ways and on the first front i totally agree with ahmed simply because i think the politics uh it would be it would be tough from a politics point of view to to be in favor of what the business rescue practitioner is um is favoring right because You've got pres the president is a businessman. Uh, Praveen understands, you know, finances, all of Union that stuff. Pressure, yeah. They know what needs to be done, but I don't think they can be seen as proponents of those ideas, right? And I actually think that's part of the reason why they even put it in into business rescue, just so that someone else would be made to make the tough decisions that they, as politicians, can't make. But the optics are a bit off because if I'm an international investor, for example, and I want to buy into SAA if one day they decide to privatize or whatever. I'm looking at it and I'm saying, but what is what? You've got the chairman of the ANC and the Gwede Mantashe saying, sell this thing. You've got the president saying, no, we're not in agreement with this thing. You've got the business rescue practitioner saying, no, we need to reduce the, the routes. But at the same time, SAA will still be technically flying these routes because Mango, which is their subsidiary, is is still there. So I think the optics are wrong, but I totally agree with Ahmed that they're probably, you know, it's probably posturing just so that they are not seen as proponents for the idea, but they understand what needs to be done at SAA. And once you're all posturing, you might as well express your view, whatever it <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> great, yeah, great. It puts a whole different spin on, yeah. the, on, on, on this debate that's been going on. And, and the business rescue practitioners response, which was 
say, yeah, sure, say whatever you like, but I've just cut the roots. Yeah. Yes, I'm in charge here. Look, I think it's quite politically astute, though, if that's what they're doing. Mm. Because keep your hands clean. No, we're totally against it. Don't do that. There's a whole oh. lot of interesting issues about, you know, do we need do we need a national airline in this shape or form? And what I mean, if we lost SAA, would it have a real impact? Because some, you know, some people have argued, yes, it would be macroeconomically significant and significant for the aviation industry. I haven't seen any evidence. Have you, Mudiwe? No, 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 no. I haven't seen any evidence on my on my side. But I know that one of the big, I was talking to someone about this, and they highlighted the fact that. Um, the importance of SAA is not necessarily the business, is not necessarily the roots, because internationally, if SAA comes out of the picture, unfortunately, they don't have a monopoly, right? Because if SAA gets out of certain international routes, you've got British Airways, Emirates, and there you know, 50 the like, airlines flying right? into South Africa. Right. You know, I discovered All this the other day. Right? 50. <laughs> What yeah. becomes a problem, though, is the lesser-known routes. Maybe more. For example, if I want to fly from Kimberley to Polokwane, yeah. no, no one else outside of SAA is going to I be doing this I mean, thing. But is, is SAA <laughs> even flying those routes? I thought there was kind of Airlink and SA Express. Is SAA even flying those small routes anymore? I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but mm. I do understand that there were some occasional flights. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. Just yeah. because yeah. they're the national carrier. Yeah. I don't know. I suppose change is hard. We need to get <laughs> our heads around a new world here. But, like, if you don't have money, as Gwede Mantash said, and I think this was a very solid point, if you, have, if you don't have money, you don't fly SAA. It is way too expensive. You would fly, you would look at Manga, you would look at Kalula, you would look at Safi, you wouldn't fly SAA. And I think, I think put that in context, Claudia, because I know at Business Times we picked up um, in the markets that, that another, even with retrenchments and cutting the roots, another at least 8 billion would be needed just to keep SAA going in, yes. in a much reduced form, maybe 10, maybe 12. So I can see where, where people are coming from saying, if you had 8 or 10 or 12 million, billion, right. billion, billion, would you put it into SAA or would you put it into public transport? Well, that's what Tito had said last year, I think, during the budget, where he said, well, just sell it off and give the money to Prasa and to Transnet. Mm. At least they can do something with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's always favored that plan. I mean, Tito's thing was always just sell it. Mm. makes no strategic sense. Last, la in our last couple of minutes, unemployment had some pretty dire figures. Um, how bad is it? How worried should we be? Are we seeing any solutions, Ahmed? So the f uh, latest figures are 29.1, which is the same as the third quarter. Why this is significant is there's usually been a bump in the fourth quarter, given Black Friday, given Christmas shopping. And there's usually a lot of contract work being done and a bit of a... And in that time, uh, it seems that that hasn't happened. And that's pretty dire because it means that even with the minuscule bump that was there, things are just leveling out with the previous quarter. So things are actually worse than the previous quarter in that sense. Claudia, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the last word again. I mean, politically, um, is there the will to tackle an employment crisis? I don't, I, sure, I think in their hearts and in their minds, it's absolutely there to tackle unemployment. But you cannot tackle unemployment if you don't grow the economy. It is impossible. When people don't have money, if, if Moody's comes and they downgrade us, um, it, it would be absolutely devastating. And like then the first place where people cut, they cut, for instance, on like um, employment, which is not formal. 
And I don't think if they don't grow the economy that anything else will happen. And that's the real thing that they would have to do. And that's what we're looking to the State of the Nation address to try and give us some guidance on. That is all we have time for this week. But please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.